0: Hello and welcome to the I Fell Over podcast. I'm your host, Oliver Broadbent, and this is my regular digest of matters, engineering, creativity, and practical philosophy. On today's show, we have Andrew Schoons, who is a video maker with a specialism in engineering and architecture. I tried to ask him, you know, how could I compare him with other filmmakers? And he suggested maybe Alfred Hitchcock. I'm not sure if it's because he's worried that his films are horror. I'm sure that's not true. Or maybe is actually, uh, as he tells me, that he managed to make a cameo appearance in quite a few of his productions. So, um, what I'd like to do today is talk to Andrew a little bit about the stories that have come out of uh, his work. He is currently, uh, he runs something called the Engineering Club, which he is going to tell us about in just a moment. And he was a director of the Building Centre um, in London. I worked with Andrew for the first time a couple of years ago, we were making some films about concrete and we had many enjoyable conversations about how to make the material rich. It was fascinating to see him work, to see him work with the various people that we were interviewing and I really enjoyed all the conversations we had along the way about engineering, creativity, bicycle riding and anything else actually that came to to mind. So I'm also a little bit nervous here because Andrew is a pro interviewer and I am not, so um, I'm hoping to pick up some tips along the way. So, to kick off, Andrew, um, hello, welcome to the show. Um, Thank you. Yeah, good to be here. Great. Um, Good creative stories is what I've written down here. You've uh, interviewed and uh, brought people to the Engineering Club to tell uh, stories of things they've designed, things they've been involved with, and within that uh, set of stories, you think there is some interesting stuff that you think our listeners... Um, would like to hear
1: absolutely and, and if I may just quickly describe what the engineering club is because it's uh, quite an important part of the story itself um, this was started not by me but um, by uh, some some eminent engineers um, and Mark Whitney amongst them I think he was the sort of key energy behind it all um, nearly 30 years ago now so it's been going a while and um, it was really started to uh, celebrate for young engineers in particular, uh, stories about engineering in a very non-institutional way. So it was meant to be something that they would find fun, that they'd do after work and make an effort to go. It wasn't a uh, a sort of duty that they had to do. And um, it was discovered that that uh, th- there was a, a whole load of stories to be told that weren't presenting engineering for our area, which is mainly building engineering, as a sort of subculture um, of architectural uh, discourse, mm-hmm. it really had a, a culture, a much broader culture of its own. So we didn't just talk about buildings or environmental engineering and energy. We talked about things like bicycles, which I have to say <laughs> has been probably the you know the sort of richest seam of stories um, for engineering. Uh, One man in particular, uh, Mike Burrows, who invented the uh, aerodynamic bicycle that Chris Boardman uh, rode to the Olympic gold medal um, at at Barcelona. I can't remember the year. Yes. Was it Barcelona or Seoul? Uh, Well, it might Mm. have been Seoul. I'm pretty sure it was Barcelona, but um, uh, listeners may wish to to check that anyway. Um, The... um, but and, and that really kick started the whole sort of craze for both Olympic success. Well that mm. that's a craze, that was you know, a lot of hard work. But but the fact that uh, um you know, twenty years ago you might be in Italy and you'd see people out on the roads all over the place on a Sunday um whereas now the the, the Brits have just gone completely mad, like myself included. Um, and you can't really move in uh, in the Surrey Hills on a, on a Sunday afternoon for cyclists because they're all over the place. But Mike Burroughs, so whether he was responsible, I mean, he was just incredibly inventive as a guy who knew how to make things and he knew how to understand the machine. And in fact, he's written a book on the history of the bicycle. And um, he is uh, somebody who is he loves cycling and he loves racing and competing but he realized he just wasn't good enough to win without actually improving the machine he couldn't improve his own sort of physical uh, state that much so um uh or or enough to win he's a very strong cyclist and that rolls up to give a talk on the bicycle often a recumbent having come huge distances um but um his, uh, his 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 views that you could you know you have to look at every tiny detail, and that sort of incremental improvement is now a really rich part of the the, the cycling culture. Yeah, um, is very much one of you know his his philosophy that he he picked up on and he started off, and he's done four talks for the engineering club over that twenty year period. So. Um, from everything as diverse as aerodynamics, which is is very keen. Whereas he the last time around he did a, a talk about um the uh just just staving off those those um those years and still competing at the highest level when he's um he's much older than most of us would be able to ride a bike even. So he's really impressive, I have to say. So um he's
0: one of the um he's he's an example for you of a story which kind of uh, transcends just the technical and uh, maybe starts to demonstrate ambition and imagination
1: about what can be achieved? Oh, absolutely, yes. I mean, um, it's interesting that um, this year, 2017, um, and there are a few debates about the dates, as obviously there would be, is the year of the bicycle, as yeah. I call it, because it 's the two hundredth anniversary of the uh, uh, invention of the bicycle in germany um, and one of the one of the issues is um, which i hadn 't realized which um, there are theories that that the bicycle was necessary because there had been a huge volcanic explosion in southeast Asia a couple of years before, and the atmospheric effects had had um ruined the crops in northern europe for and, and horses weren't uh, were, were starving and had to be uh, and they were looking for some alternative to mm-hmm. horsepower power um mm-hmm. and that necessity being the uh, mother of invention was is very much part of um something that uh you know mikes was to to uh try and make himself go faster it was a very sort of personal um ambition in that sense but the ability to uh, just go back and revisit things that we take for granted and say, well, actually, we've always assumed that, that you know a bicycle should have two wheels or um, that uh, there are, you know, a crank should be this long or um, the uh, the wheels should be that thick or that thin. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's always re-examined them and come and told the story of how he re-examines all those elements to just see whether the assumptions that we make uh, are either uh, wrong or wrong in the, in, a, in a different context and uh, and that they can be improved it's a it's a wonderful just sort of a process of examination of uh technical assumptions that we might make yeah um and and then testing them because he can build the things in his workshop and he builds them and tests them and tests them personally so he knows what sort of um uh, you know, very quick feedback, which is a terribly important part, I think, of creativity is not just to have the idea, but be able to test them out and get them wrong and fail, which um, is a, uh, you know, very much a, uh, an important thing, I think, failure uh, in engineering creativity. And I
0: think that's, that's something which in certainly in the built environment world is actually difficult to, to experience. Um, And something I've always found fascinating about bicycles as a technology, uh, I completely agree with you about the need to be able to test and fail and improve regularly, almost play. Um, One of the things I find fascinating about the bicycle is it seems to me to be a sort of level of technology at which um, someone with only sort of rudimentary skills could actually reach a technological level to enable them to um, master the tools which would enable them to uh, manage the bicycle, to to fix it, to even uh, mill parts for it, and that and that kind of thing. It feels like a technology that's sort of
1: within reach. Yes, I think that's very true. And and the other the other wonderful um, storyteller that we had, again related to bicycles, uh, at the engineering club was was Graham Obery, um, who has had a feature film made about him, the Flying Scotsman. It's worth seeing. Um, but um, he was uh, one of the uh, famous for his in- and, and uh, demonstrated in that film where he actually took the bearing out of his uh, washing machine, the, the sort of spinning, because mm-hmm. it was the only thing that could handle the sort of speeds and, and improve some of the technology that he was hoping to um, suddenly break into the, uh, the world of racing in a, in a big way. Um, and um, so he's yeah he's he's exactly that that he was able not only to um, think laterally about it but make it again in his garage or in his uh, in his work his own workshop so that that was um very much uh you know it's a very yeah it's a very exciting form of of engineering uh, because you can do it um and you can do quite a lot of it and i've you know rebuilt lots of bikes in my time as well yeah my father was an engineer and he um he was of that era where um this, he he would insist on uh before he bought anything um he would insist on trying to make it himself and uh he did once set off to build his own dishwasher and um we still preserve in his his memory which which is um, rather wonderful of uh um the the carcass the aluminium carcass of his own dishwasher in in uh, in the barn where my brother lives <laughs> it's such a fantastic object that uh, he did fail and um, it would have probably taken him about three years to build it but um, he was quite insistent that he was going to build his own dishwasher yeah oh, but I just think that's a brilliant
0: way a brilliant attitude to have with uh, technology um, because um, I have a, um, I have a distant cousin who uh, who lives on an island in just off Vancouver Island. Um, he may even be a listener to this podcast, Wayne. If you're listening, hello. Uh, he uh, he was the one who inspired me to become an engineer. Uh, uh-huh. Me having trained as a chemist, I went to stay with him, and he was a self-made engineer and self-taught. And he actually at the time I was thinking of studying architecture, and he said, No, no, no if you want to go and uh, uh, build anything, uh, you should go and study engineering. And he actually uh, said it in less polite terms than that. But um, I took him at his word and actually went back to university. But he said he was a a producer, not a consumer. And it sort of struck me as a phrase. And I like this idea of, um, yes, it might not be convenient in the long run for us to manufacture every piece of technology that we use. But if we can at least have a go at it, we um, are... We have some ownership. The tools don't use us. We use the tools. Yes.
1: Yeah. No, I think I think it's very important. And, and, and there are there are sort of fewer and fewer opportunities for people to do that now. So, I, I mean, I have a car um, sitting outside in the road outside where we're talking. And um, I have to admit, I don't think I've ever opened the bonnet. I've never actually had to do that, which... You um, know, if, if it, might, I it with... might
0: void the warranty if you did. Possibly, or maybe <laughs> actually, in the, we were talking about this when we met last week. The, the book, the case for working with your hands. Yes. Um, and inside that, um, uh, in that book, he says he talks about the bonnet within the bonnet. So there's there's a bonnet you think you can open, and then actually when you look inside um there's another bonnet which if you do touch it's sort of breaking the seals and you know. right <laughs>
1: well so I'm, I, although I'm not an engineer i think both um filmmaking mm-hmm. or video making which probably could be a bit more accurate yep. um and uh and building um ha- are, are activities where you can still get very close to it without having to go into the sort of you know deep r&d world and um uh, you know technical manufacturing, which needs you know a very expensive plant and things like that so it's it's still a very rewarding in in terms of what you can produce and, uh, so I think uh, maybe the two aren't re- you know unrelated in that respect.
0: Something which came up in the, actually, I think it was an interview on the first podcast I did uh, at, at EMF camp. Um, we were talking about whether there was a way that you could get engineers to have a go at building and failing more quickly. Uh, you actually, it's almost like a, a, a place where you could build and test and break and a, and do that kind of thing. Rather yep. run it being design and everything happening in you know, sort of
1: sanitized offices in central London a long way from any sort of construction site at all sure no I think I think it's very important and and it doesn't necessarily have to be failing Um, Mm. you know you never plan to fail Mm. but um, even just to dismantle something is quite important and see you know how difficult it is to to take it apart or how easy it is to take apart which would be or uh, to get get it to collapse so all those things I think are part of the culture definitely so, um, do you want to take us through another one of your, your your
0: stories from the engineering club?
1: Well, I've I've got lots, and I did I did look up a few, and um, I'll I'll throw out a few few ideas and tell me what you think are uh, 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 are interesting. Sure. So, one of my favourite, I have to say, um, and I've and I've always wanted to invite him back, but he's, I've I've never succeeded. Um, is uh, so? If you're listening, Tim Lucas, and this is Tim Lucas from uh, the famous short sports shoe manufacturer, um, do come along. Um, how to uh design a sport shoe now there you really are talking about a very complex uh sort of social system so they all get together to design these shoes in in a town in southern germany where they um uh there, there is a sort of um, stereotypical um englishman who does the engineering uh the italians do the design the french who i can't remember what they're doing the germans do the business end of it and um the uh, the, they have. What was really interesting was how, how they designed the shoes that became a. Um, the, the 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 shoes for the uh, base runners in the <clears> city. <throat> they became the sort of chosen shoe. Um You can't see them. You know, they they went off the shelves very very quickly, and that's you know part of the thing. Is they have to invent huge numbers of shoes, almost you know sort of new ten new pairs a year, as far as I can see. And um, here they, they decided, no, the problem, so they'd set the parameters of the problem, which was to have a single material. Um, so it's very expensive to to try and, in the soles of sports shoes, to try and combine different types of materials. Mm-hmm. So that, that was the issue. They wanted to see if they could, uh, purely through manipulating the different structure and the structural voids of this sports shoe, um, to uh, how they could actually get different performances, firmer, more flexible for the different for the insole, for the yep. heel and whatever. So, and it was a, a beautiful design, which um, you know everybody gasped with the the sort of elegant simplicity of of what they managed to create. And what, what the bit that I always remember was when you know they talked about. Um, how they test them and how they do other things but that that how many different ideas that they'd have to get to that particular solution and that was um having had a you know a a speaker who was incredibly open but said a lot by saying well actually i can't tell you any of those things all the ideas that we have Mm -hmm. they get put in a safe right because that's our Intellectual property yeah. for the next round of inventiveness, creativeness. So they didn't throw things away, which I thought I was very impressed, or even throw ideas away. And um, so that, that was a that was a I think you know very memorable story about engineering in a completely different field. But but it uh, it definitely captured the imagination of engineers and how you know.
0: Now I think that, that was that talk some time ago. Yes, because I think I came to that. Did you? Like some oh, time, because I seem to remember there was a room. I think in the end, where well, they wanted to do real deep testing of their shoes. Yes. And they had a machine which was basically a, uh, on a, it was a sort of, uh, tripod imagine like a sort of uh, a, a, a mercedes-benz style sign yes i mean with a foot a metal foot on each end that's so right made like a wheel yes. and, and then they, they put the shoe the on it and this 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 <laughs> sort of a three-footed i guess it looks like the manx uh, symbol yes um this sort of three-footed wheel would then ro- roll round and round in a circle driven by a motor um and it was in a metal shed at the end of a field, and they would set it going all winter. Yeah, exactly. And the, the, yes, oh,
1: and you, oh, it'd do ten thousand miles or something like yes, that. Yes, and there wasn't a <laughs> the
0: shoe they couldn't ever design a shoe that would survive, you know, <laughs> two weeks on this machine. But that was their ultimate hard test.
1: Oh, well, I'm so i delighted <laughs> you came along. And um, no, it was it was uh, they had little little sort of stories like that, which I thought were uh, were really special. And just to throw another one out, it was a com- completely different end, but again, a uh, you know, wonderful British inventor. Um, called Charlie Payton who um came up with the idea of the seawater greenhouse and again they they made it happen you know he he managed to get backing to build one near the coast in the um, uh, in the middle east where and and, and the, the the beauty of it is that you take um a sort of warm, humid air coming off the coast and pass it by a um, system which cools it with seawater mm-hmm. and you produce fresh water, right. which they haven't got. And I mean, they've got terrible problems of of pumping too much groundwater. So mm-hmm. you know, they're just pumping salt water, I think, from underground. So they needed to find a system to see if they could create fresh water Basically, from air. It's a, it's a wonderful thing. And, and there were beautiful um, things that, that um, came off as a sort of byproduct, which were these uh, desert rose structures that formed as the, uh, as the, as the uh, moisture uh, condensed from it. And what they also found is that the, the seawater is a greenhouse, it is a big st- structure, which is uh, like a big uh, greenhouse, but around it, as the building cooled and it started creating its own um, microclimate and plants started to mm. grow around it. Mm. So it so even without having to sort of distribute the water which went off to do something else they found that they were um, starting to green the desert and um, it, was, it was a wonderfully optimistic yeah. um, project which is happening piecemeal unfortunately it's too easy just to throw energy at desalination and, and do it in, a, in a, a let's say a less experimental way but I hope that that will be the future of some really wonderful um, low-level technology that does beautiful things. Um, take us
0: on to your, your 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 next.
1: Um... Well, I, I've just, I'm just I'm going to sort of move on just a little bit because I, I think um, what, something I've mentioned a couple of times already is this question of culture and engineering culture, and, yeah. that, and that's something that um, has o- over the years. So I've I've been involved with the engineering club for probably. 20 of its 30 years i wasn't directly involved but used to come and sit in like you in the early days that were always you know it was always broadly um advertised and you could uh you know if you wanted to come and do the got nothing to you know to do you would definitely pop off and go and see that it would been a waste not to um and um the uh the thing that started to strike me was you know whether whether it succeeded in its in its ambition and whether there was such a thing as engineering culture because i suppose that that that, um i I, when thinking about our conversation i made a rather mischievous note to myself saying that culture is something that that industrialized society does at the weekend or on its day off um and there was part of that in the engineering club you know it's an evening of entertainment's not uh, a, a sort of must do during work hours so um and i did put together some ideas for a group of young engineers who who very um graciously came and listened to me and um said they enjoyed it which was talking about what what is an uh an engineering culture if it if it does exist and um things such as heritage Mm. did come up that idea that um history and and the the stuff of engineering that that comes from the past is is an important part and should be understood but in fact we do very little about it I mean, most of our stories are contemporary and quite deliberately contemporary engineering stories so um we we're, we're trying to i suppose identify the heritage of the future at least the sort of ideas and the creative thinking of the future uh, that people will look back on right we look to things like Heroes, you yep. know, and who, uh, which, which can form, you know, be part an important part of a culture. But in fact, very few um of the younger engineers, and hopefully they, they might have thought a bit more about it since then. Could identify some of the uh, the people who I consider to be uh, at least contemporary engineering heroes. um But to counter that, I mean, one of the things we did was to put on, um, was to gather up all the. Um, video footage we could find of um, Peter Rice mm-hmm. the, uh, you know, the wonderful engineer from Arab um, who um, and, and there that, that really did strike a chord and um, without really trying there his family turned up his colleagues turned up and it mm. was a really stimulating discussion and perhaps in part led to you know, a whole exhibition of his, his work just by just saying that this is an important part um, of the culture and it should you know we should talk about it more and celebrate it more. So that was a really satisfying um, exploration of one element of what I might think is engineering culture.
0: I wonder if you could, for listeners, just um, mention a, a couple of the projects you think that make um, uh, Peter Rice so 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 noteworthy, noteworthy, or or maybe his manner of working.
1: Well, the obvious one is is the Pompidou Center, which which is uh, no, it was a really fresh look at a, a city building uh in its time um and its war it's both its its sort of functional functionality and its engineering on the outside and it is a, a wonderful space it um you know to me i, I haven't been back much since because i you know i could it would be difficult to better it but they did a thing called the art of the engineer mm-hmm. it's their last exhibition in um the last century so it's quite a long time ago now and um it was the most wonderful um, space to celebrate big engineering stuff, and they did it with big films. Big, you know, it was it was uh, so. And it's a great place. So I mean, that 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 you know, at one level, is is uh, was very exciting. And then you know, just little things like stone structures that he did at uh, the Seville Expo, mm-hmm. which I always thought were just just clever and imaginative, um, and pushing the boundaries but but in an you know in a way that engineers could understand um, and really engage with so I, I mean there's lots of other examples but
0: i think coming back to that idea of the sort of the stories and and heroes that his book an engineer imagines um somebody lent, lent to me when i was studying and i found it hugely inspirational it just really made me think about uh, a sort of i guess a sort of posture with respect to the world an attitude to the world that says there is things that need doing there is beauty to be created um, there is uh, uh, there is there are curious things that we want to find out about how the world works and then we can bring all those things together use our uh, brains to to fuse all those things to create something useful and mm. uh, and beautiful and i really got that out, out out of his
1: book yeah and um and he had a sort of human side which mm. i think is terribly important as well and and uh, you know, i learned from the subsequent exhibition that he loved horse racing and, um, you know, the best thing you could do is bring a copy of the racing post to, uh, to, to a mm-hmm. meeting if you really wanted to sort of engage um, very quickly. So um, it was... Uh, no, I, I, I think, uh, you know, we mustn't forget that uh, when we um, perhaps wrongly uh, divide engineering and culture, um, which, you know, it's like dividing art and science, mm. that um, there is a very strong shared element of of humanity and the best engineering as well um, and it's not just uh you know, metal and um and you know cold metal and and emotionless structures or whatever and it's a, it's the it's the stories of people and the teams that that design and
0: Precisely. and build stuff and solve some of these challenges one of the um when I when I'm working with organizations talking about how uh they uh, build a culture of creativity in their organizations uh, one of the things i ask them about is the sort of rituals or symbols that they they have in in places uh, uh, and stories so i think in an organization when there is the tale of how they solved a problem or how a group of people came together i think that that
1: um, can be really motivational for other people in that organization yeah absolutely um so i mean creativity is an inter- an interesting thing because it's um again um not necessarily immediately seen as something which is part of engineering culture and um why do do you think that is well because um the industrial the industrial process is something which demands repetition and not not trying to look for a different way of doing Mm. it but to to deliver what can be a, you know an extraordinary um but beneficial to a lot of people by deliberately repeating processes and avoiding craft and making things work industrially and we we have a dilemma you know that that we do need to find some degree of economic repetitiveness to solve some of our Architectural problems, housing problems, which I think is an architectural problem first and foremost. So, so we do have that um, problem at the moment, um, and so creativity, um, you know, has got a specific problem to solve, but it may only solve it by finding a way of being very repetitive. So you might you might have to temper your creativity to a, a, a process at some point, I guess. Um, but there's lots of, you know, lots of wonderful scope to do things. Building off-site, um, designing cheaper, lighter structures. I wrote down the word elegance. Mm. I think it's terribly important. Um, because, I mean, if I go back to my my only engineering qualification is, in fact, in software, um, in computer science. Yep. Um, and there elegance is something is it's really sought after you can write miles and miles of code that you say first do this first do that first do this but there are these beautifully elegant moments where you can save pages and pages of code by just looking at a very neat way Mm -hmm. of turning around a solution um and without wanting to sort of write down noughts and zeros um and i think i think again that that sort of um idea of elegance of of reducing um material use uh the processes involved to a very simple but and, and you know but the elegance is is the important bit uh in some ways we've lost that you know we just engineer any any old design comes up we can engineer it join out and make it uh, you know big enough foundations to carry all the weight and lost that um the, the, that sort of creative moment of less is more,
0: really. Yes. And I think in a, in a world where we can calculate our ways to in increasingly complex solutions, mm-hmm. we don't have that driver of, of simplicity. Um, and so, in a sense, we can allow ourselves to create far more complicated things, but perhaps we um, don't then derive that that simple elegance from the output.
1: Yeah, no, it's a sort of beauty of a concept that you can, um, and 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 there were uh, again, it's it's uh, it was an interesting thing. I was I have great admiration for the um Arab Building Group, which I think you know, is, is so important to a lot of the the culture that we have mm. here um, and what what they 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 created, which then became Arab Associates. And I always remember one partner. Early partner from Arab Associates saying that you know for a university they managed to boil down the the university building uh, program to sort of three drawings or something like that. It was so elegantly worked out um, and. Um, and then, the, and then their frustration that when they discovered that they did the next round of building that they didn't come back to them and do it again. That was handed on right. to uh, you know a builder and said, "Well, we'll just have some more of those, please, but we don't need you back." Which must be um, very frustrating. Um, and um, so, and it is that that um, ambiguity that we have, I think, in uh, trying to make that balance between engineering and creativity. Um, it's a it's a difficult balance to find I
0: think, I think on speaking of uh, our projects more generally I think one of my favorite uh, old projects of theirs is the uh, Kingsgate footbridge outside mm-hmm. Durham University now yeah. I know I know plenty of people who've studied at Durham and re- who really dislike the footbridge but I've I've own I came across it actually from a construction project that we that we've been involved with creating this is at the constructionarium where undergraduate engineers build large-scale models of real uh, engineering projects and this bridge effectively was it's across a gorge at Durham University and um, it was built in two halves on on, on the riverbanks. It's, it, it's a high it's a high sort of straight uh, uh parapet that people w- walk along uh supported on two very elegant uh v's that come up from a come up from the ground and and support this but they were built on both sides of the river and then spun into place to make mm-hmm. the connection at the end and i just think it's such a beautiful resolution of constructability structural form um, the, the the surroundings the gorge uh, and and it's very elegantly simple yes
1: and um, I think it was one of Arab's favourite um, projects as well. Um, uh, the man oh, okay. yes, yep. yeah. And um, I've never been there, but I've seen the photo, and it and it's just the most, uh, you know, that somebody who and and it's and it's relevant to my world that that if you can inspire people to but take make great photographs or you know make great stories out mm-hmm. of it. Mm-hmm. Um, then that, that sort of adds to possibly a mythology, you know, that, that the locals might not like it as much as those who are viewing it on the, uh, in two dimensionals on a, on a really well taken photograph. But it's, it's, um, to me it's very important that that, that relationship between objects and, and the media and the communication of them too.
0: I think, at which point, Andrew, I will leave it there. Um, I feel like this has almost been a sort of desert island disc of, uh, of uh, the stories from the Engineering Club, and I do hope we'll have the opportunity in future to revisit some of those. Yeah. If you're listening and you want to find out more about uh, the Engineering Club, you can check them out online at the Engineering Club. What's your website?
1: .org.uk, engineeringclub.org.uk.
0: And um, you can find videos and stories of the that come from the talks that, that Andrew's been talking about. You can find uh, this podcast uh, at ifellover.com. That's e-i-f-f-e-l-o-v-e-r.com, like the engineer. You can find me on Twitter ifellover underscore, and on Facebook Ifelover dancing, which is the same themes: engineering, creativity, and practical philosophy, with a bit of dancing in there as well. Um, thank you so much for listening, and I look forward to you joining us next time.